text. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 3 today. Not John chapter 3. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 3. John wrote a gospel. He also wrote three letters. And so we're going to be in the first of his letters. 1 John chapter 3. Here at Meadowbrook Church, we are helping people take their next steps with Jesus. Wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, if you are seasoned in this, if you are brand new to this, if you are just searching and curious in this, we want to help you take those next steps in your spiritual journey with Jesus. And so we focus on that primarily in three ways, upward, inward, and outward. We want to take our next steps upward in our connection and communion and relationship with him. We want to take our next steps inward as God does his work in us, as he transforms us, as he heals us and cleanses us and makes us more like Jesus. And we want to take our next steps outward as we live out this faith, as we take time to uh, reflect on what does it mean to actually do this now. And as we share the gospel here in Leamington to the ends of the earth, as we love our brothers and sisters and everything that goes with it. Sidebar, John, it was great to see you up on stage with the worship team this morning. That was wonderful. Amazing. Yeah, that's good. So... John likes to talk about love a lot. He likes to talk about love a lot in his gospel. He likes to talk about it in his letters. And it is one of those great sort of philosophical questions. What is love? How do you define love? How do you put love into a, a simple phrase or a simple sentence? How do you explain that in a way? Uh, we know what it feels like, but it's not always so easy to take what we're feeling and put that into words. And so philosophers and, and faiths and people of all cultures and ages have wrestled with this question, what is love? And I, as I've said to people, we'll be talking about that, that, that idea this week of what is love. Several of you responded right away, baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. Uh, so the 90s prophets in the techno world have grappled with this question for us already. But as we reflect on that, the word for love, for us, it has lots of different meanings, right? Because we can say, of course, I, I love the Lord. I love my church. I love my wife. I love my kids. We can also say I love the beach. We can also say I love this music. I love this book, right? It has a wide range of meanings. I can say I love, I love, seriously, I love Pizza Hut. I love Pizza Hut. Pizza Hut is like a once a year treat in my house. I love it so much. It makes me so sick, but it tastes so good on the way down. So love has a wide range of applications, and it doesn't mean the same thing, right? Obviously, I love my wife more than I love Pizza Hut. Not that much different, but obviously it's different along the way. So we're going to dig into what the Word of God says about that, because it turns out the Bible talks about love an awful lot. An awful lot. This theme of love comes up over and over and over again. I had someone say to me years ago, you preach and you talk about love a lot. I'm like, yeah, have you read this thing? It's in there a lot. That's why we talk about it a lot. We serve a God who said, I am love, right? God is love. That's who he is. And so we're going to look at what it says in 1 John chapter 3. So we're going to start in verse 11 of 1 John 3 this morning. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Don't be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we've passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. 
This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. So when it comes to love, and we've all heard songs about love, there are poems written about love, there are great epic love stories, uh, there are love, you know, rom-com movies, right? Like it gets explored in lots of different ways. And because love is so difficult to explain, we tend to turn to metaphors to help explain what it is, right? My love is like an ocean, right? We try to find ways to make that picture express something about what we're feeling, something about... Uh, you know, the vastness of the love or how big the love is. Well, that's kind of hard to explain. So let's use a picture like the ocean, right? My love, I love you to the moon and back, we used to say to our kids, right? Like that's how big and far our love is. We, we find these ways to try and put into words what is so big. And yet I love this section of scripture that we've looked at today because it actually defines love in a really, really simple and clear way. And, of course, it does that by looking to Jesus. And what we always want to be doing is looking to Jesus. So verse 11 of our text today, for this is the message you heard from the beginning, we should love one another. Like there's just a, again, just a beautiful simplicity. John says, hey, this is always what we've been saying. Right? The message we've been preaching, the message in John's gospel that Jesus would come back to over and over again is this idea of love. In John 13, 34, Jesus says to his disciples as he's about to leave them, a new command I'm leaving with you, love one another. So John says there's nothing new here. There's nothing unique to this message. This is what we have been preaching. This is what Jesus was preaching. This is what we are reaffirming over and over and over again. We should love one another. There is a great uh, passage in 1 Corinthians 13. We often read it at weddings. Uh, it's a famous love passage. And it gives us a, a really good picture of what love is. You've heard these words before from 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Love is patient. Right? Love, love gives grace. Love takes time. Love, love understands. Love doesn't fly off the handle. Love is patient. When I move into impatience, I'm moving away from love. Love is kind. It's not cruel. It's not cutting. It's not blunt. It's kind. Love does not envy. Love doesn't get jealous when you get something. Love is happy when you got something. Love doesn't say, well, what's in it for me? Why didn't I get something? Love is happy that you get what you get. Love does not boast. It does not elevate. It does not say, I'm up here and you're down here. It does not say, pay attention to me or, or give me all the glory. Love does not elevate itself. It does not boast. It is not proud. Love does not dishonor others. And in love, we can certainly disagree with others. Sometimes love actually calls us to disagree with somebody else. But love does not dishonor. It doesn't call names. It doesn't uh, stab in the back. It doesn't gossip. It doesn't tear down. Love does not dishonor others. Love is not self-seeking because love always seeks the good of the other first and not just looking to what is good for me. Love is not easily angered. In, in love, anger is a slow boil, takes a long time, and, and so anger comes up even in loving relationships, but it is not easily anchored. Uh, love keeps no record of wrongs. Love seeks grace, mercy, seeks to forgive. 
Love does not delight in evil. Love rejoices with the truth. And so it's not enough just to say, well, love is love and that's all that matters and, and all we got to do is love and that's it. We want to do that for sure. But also as we are pursuing truth, but also as we are pursuing the, the repentance away from sin, away from evil, love does those things as well. Love always protects. Love always trusts. Love always hopes. Love always perseveres. Love never fails. That's good, right? Like that's a good picture of what love is. And so when we move away from these things, we are moving away from love. When I'm impatient, when I'm unkind, when I'm dishonoring others, when I'm getting angry really easily, when I'm holding on to the wrong thing that someone did to me, when I'm ignoring the truth, when I'm moving away from these things, I'm moving away from love. When I walk in these things, I'm walking in what the Bible says love is and what the Bible says God is, because God is love. And so that means if love is patient, you can also say, well, then God is patient because God is love. That if love is kind, then we can say, well, then God is kind because God is love. This is who he is, and this is what he calls us to walk in. And again, where we have one word for love that we slot into uh, the love for our family or the love for our pizza place or for the love of the maple leaves or whatever we are saying, we just have one word uh, that, that we apply across the board. Uh, the Greek language has several different words for love which actually help us because they distinguish of different kinds of love. And so what we hear a lot of biblically is what is called agape love. And this is divine love. This is God's love. This is a self-sacrificing love. This is whenever the Bible talks about God's love, this is what it's talking about, the agape love. And the Bible calls us to love each other in that agape way, to imitate God's love, to imitate Christ's example, to love not just in the normal human way where, where whether you know God or not, you love your family and you love your kids and you love your country. Uh, there's a normal human love that we all have. But then there's a whole other level of love that is best personified in Jesus, the agape love of God, and that's what we're called to walk in. So there's agape love, there's phileo love, which is brotherly love. That's just the common love that we have for brothers and sisters. And so uh, if you remember when we were doing our Revelation series, we looked at the church in Philadelphia, and Philadelphia in the States has the nickname the city of brotherly love. And so phileo, brotherly love, and Delphos, which is city, Philadelphia, when you put those two things together. And so there is that love that we share, brother to brother, sister to sister. There's eros love, which is sensual or romantic love. There's storge love, which is family love. But what the Bible talks about the most is that top one, the agape divine self-sacrificing love. And when it talks about how we should love one another, it doesn't talk about love one another with that storge family love. It doesn't talk about love one another even with that phileo brotherly love. It says love one another with that agape, divine, self-sacrificing love. That we love the way that God loves us. We love in the same way that he loves us. So we are warned in our passage today, verse 12 and 13, do not be like Cain. And that's a pretty good advice. He was one, he's the first kind of villain in the Bible other than the devil. The first human to really fall into evil in the uh, really awful way. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. So don't be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. 
And so in the Cain story, as, as Cain and Abel are, are having their kerfuffle uh, in Genesis chapter 4, that, uh, that Cain, uh, they both bring an offering before the Lord, and Cain's was not accepted by the Lord, and Abel's was accepted by the Lord, and in jealousy, Cain rises up and kills his brother. And so John gives us a bit more impact as to motivation here, that there was something in Cain that was provoked because he, he was not doing what was right, and his brother was, and in that jealous anger, he rose up and attacked his brother, his own brother, his flesh and blood. And so John says, it's not super profound, don't be like that, right? Don't, don't be that way. But also, there's a, a bit of a, a friendly warning in there that in that same way, just like Cain in his evil was, was provoked to jealous anger, even though Abel had done nothing wrong, that there will be times where the world doesn't like us either in that same vein. That as we are doing what is right, there will be times when anger comes against us. And, and if the world or, or people around us are walking in sin, uh, they don't always like to hear it if we say, hey, that is sin, right? And God calls us to something purer. God calls us to something more holy. That is not always a popular message. And so there's a don't be surprised uh, if, like in Cain's situation, there is an anger that comes against you as a Christ follower sometimes, even if you are doing what is right. But as for our call, verse 14 and 15, we know we've passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, extreme language, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. That part of what marks us as Christ followers is that we love one another. That's one of the ways Jesus said the world would know that we belong to him as we love one another. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus would say the thing that will mark you as children of your Father in heaven is that you love even your enemies as Christ followers. Because everybody loves their kids. Everybody loves their friends, whether you're a Christ follower or not. What marks us as different is that we love literally everybody, even the people who try and kill us. We meet with the agape love of God. Because that's exactly what Jesus did. He walked in that level of love. And so one of the ways, it's not the only way, but one of the ways we know we are growing in Christ is as we are loving better, as we are loving more. And that doesn't mean in our relationships that we don't have boundaries. It doesn't mean that, you know, when it says love keeps no record of wrongs, it doesn't mean we don't deal with problems or, or deal with sin. It doesn't mean any of those things necessarily. But we are growing in love in general. It is one of the crucial signs. Are we growing in that type of love? Verse 16, this is my favorite part. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And to me, that's the whole passage in a nutshell, right? That's, that's 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. So all that of love, it's like an ocean. I love you to the moon and back. I, I love you like the flowers, right? All the metaphors and, and things that we pull on to try and put into words this incredible emotion. Here's how the Bible deals with that struggle. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ died for us. That's what love looks like. For us, love looks like a holy God who didn't have to do this, coming down, living among us, and dying a brutal death on the cross for our sake. That's how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Love looks like a cross. 
So that's 1 John 3.16. And I love the uh, sort of the parallelism because there's another famous verse of Scripture, which is John 3.16, right? The Gospel of John 3.16 here on the left. For God so loved the world, he so agaped the world, that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's John 3.16. 1 John 3.16 is this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So John 3.16 on the left has been called the gospel in a nutshell, right? Just the gospel defined simply and clearly. God loves us. He sent his son for us. Jesus laid down his life for us. As you put your faith and trust in him, you inherit eternal life. The gospel in one sentence. There's lots more that can be said and should be said. But in terms of just a simple snapshot of the gospel, John John 3.16 is great. And then parallel to that is 1 John 3.16, which is our reaction to the gospel in a nutshell, right? Again, it's grounded in the love of God. This is how we know what agape love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And out of that, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. As God in heaven sacrificed for us, it calls us to sacrifice for others. As he was selfless for us, it calls us to be selfless for others. As he was willing to leave comfort and and leave security and leave safety and lay down his life for us, we do the same thing for others. As he was willing to say, not my will, Father, but your will be done, we do the same. And instead of saying, well, what's in it for me and what about me and what about my rights and what do I get out of this? We say, no, how can I lay down my life for you? Because that's following in the way of Jesus. That's what Jesus did for us. And we seek to love in the exact same way. Love can be measured in that sense very easily. When we think of our loved ones, we think of our family, we think of our close friends, we think of our parents maybe, or or whoever we love in our life. Love easily gets measured by how much you're willing to give up for that person, right? And we're not literally typically lying down and and laying down our lives uh, in the literal sense. But if we're not doing that, then what does that look like for us? What are we giving up for other people? (laughs) Am I sweating a little bit up here? Thanks, John. What am I willing to give up, right? If I say I love my family, but I only do what's best for me, then I'm not loving my family particularly well. If I say I love my friends, but I only do what's best for me, then I'm not loving my friends particularly well. That we can measure how much we love someone by what we're willing to give up for their sake. And so is that growing in us? Is that not just the the feeling of love, but that self-sacrificing love, is that growing as well? Are we continually seeing that shift as we walk with Jesus? Are we being changed in that way? Jesus would put it this way as he came to the end of his life, talking to his uh, disciples who he calls his friends, that greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. That that is the, the measure of the fullness of what love is, that I would die for you. And that even if I'm not literally called to die for you, I'm probably literally going to be called to do something for you, something that puts you first, something that costs me something, something that calls me to sacrifice in order to love you well. Greater love is that, is to lay down your life for others. 
And so it gets very practical as John wraps things up, uh, the last couple of verses, verse 17. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Now, of course, you can't do everything for everybody. But if you have the means, if there is need around and, and you are never helping... If you are never giving, if you are never sacrificing, if you are never coming alongside someone, John says, like, where is the love of God then? Where is that agape love that Jesus gave to you? And as he gave to you, you are to give away to others. We have a word that we use for people who take and take and take and take and take and never give. Right? What's that word? Selfish. Right. And honestly, I think that's one of the, the hardest things in our culture, in, in particularly our North American culture, is that we are a very, very, very me-centered culture. It is very, very, very much about you do what's best for you, uh, your needs come before everybody else's, and, and that's one of the ways in which we push back against the world around us and say one of the things where we're going to be different than the culture around us is that if they're all saying me first, we will be the people who say you first after you. What can I do to serve you? What can I do to lay down my life for you? What does that look like? The opposite of love is selfishness. And when you look back at 1 Corinthians 13, which we just looked at, where, where love is patient, it's not self-seeking, it is not root, those are all the opposite of selfish. And yet we have this constant pull. It's just in our nature. Uh, you've heard me say before, we're kind of born selfish. Kids are selfish by nature. We have to teach them to not be selfish. We have to work hard at that with them. Uh, we have to grow that in them. So it's already in us. And we're in a culture that just particularly seems to celebrate that. And we have to be different. Paul would say in Philippians 2, verse 3 and 4, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And if you read the rest of Philippians 2, he makes very clear because that's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did. And so to be Christ-like is to do that. This is how he lived, and this is how we follow his example. Verse 18, dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. So it's one thing to say, I love you. It's one thing to even say, I feel love for you. And then we often talk about love as a feeling. And it is, of course. And yet at the same time, we also have to love in truth. Our mind gets involved because for us to love something, we have to understand it. And so love is an activity of our brain as much as it is an activity of our heart. But what he's saying here as well, uh, put a different way, is that talk is cheap, right? Your love has to have an action to it. So if you say you love, but you don't do anything about it, then that's not real love. Anyone can say it. And you might even feel it. But for love to be true love, the action has to back it up. That there has to be something there that goes along with it. Because again, if I feel the love for my family, and if I say I love my family, but I don't ever put them first, then that's not real love. Because as Jesus walked out that love, he told us that he loved us. There were words. And, and yet, as, as he felt that love for us, there was also action. And the action shows up in lots of different ways. But ultimately, it shows up most at the cross. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That even when we were his enemies, even when we were far from him, even when we had rejected him, even in that place, 
Jesus lays down his life for us. Love looks like a cross. And so as Jesus goes to the cross, that's what love looks like. Agape love, divine love, holy love, selfless love, perfect love, self-sacrificing love is pictured there perfectly on the cross. And it's not enough for us just to say, well, thank you, Jesus, so much. And, and let's sing our songs of thanks. We don't stop there because now we have to go out and do the same thing. If we are going to call ourselves followers of Christ, we actually have to follow in the way of Christ. We actually have to follow in his example. We actually have to follow after that. Come on, a worship team. It's hot in the room. I know we're, we're fading. I feel it. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says, follow God's example, therefore. Follow his example. Follow his example, therefore, as dearly loved children. That's you and that's me. Follow his example as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The way of Jesus never says, what's in it for me? It says, how may I serve you? The way of Jesus never says, well, I'm up here and I've got things figured out and I'm at this maturity level and you're down here. That's not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is, how can I get on my knees and wash your feet for you? The way of Jesus never says, me first. It never says, my rights. The way of Jesus never does that. The way of Jesus always says, in love, you. What about you? How can I serve you? How can I lay down my life for you? And it says Jesus did all of that as part of his worship to God, as part of his worship to the Father. And so when we do that, when we love well, that's our worship to the Father. When we sacrifice for others, that's our worship. That rises up as a fragrant offering before God. When we love others well in that agape, self-sacrificing way. And as you head into a time of transition, Meadowbrook, it's not going to be any... There's no more important thing that you love each other well as you head into this next season. And you're going to be looking for a new pastor. And Sarah and I are excited for you in that search. We really are. We feel perfectly at peace that God has already ordained who that is. And it's going to be absolutely the perfect person for you. We have been praying into this already for you. And we'll continue to pray for you. And, uh, and, and you'll have opinions on what you think that needs to look like. And, and a couple of people have said to me, well, I hope we can find another Chris Walker. And I go, oh, yeah, well, good luck, guys. Um, and it's a good thing that it's not... Chris, right? That's a good thing. Because if I was the one to lead you in the next season, then we'd be staying and God would have given fresh vision and, and we would have carried on. But God does have someone different and that's a good thing. God has someone with different gifts, different skills. I don't know what it will look like, but it'll be the right person to lead you into what is next. And so everyone has opinions on what that's going to look like. You should. That's a good thing. You have thoughts. You should share them. Absolutely. Uh, I know the board will be talking to you soon. The search team is being put together and, and advertising, and they're getting ready to go. And, and it's all good. It's all very exciting. But everyone also, in the midst of your opinions, has to be willing to say, hey, but not what I want, right? I'm willing to submit what I want to whatever God wants. I'm going to submit whatever I want to what's best for the church. And I'm willing to love in that way. And in a transition time, it's not a time to pull away. It's actually, instead of leaning back, it's time to lean in, right? It's time to, to connect. It's time to support one another. It's time to be intentional. It's time to say, all right, let's, let's go, right? This is a, an incredible church, guys. It's an incredible church. 
and I've been here nine years. I've seen many different seasons of life here and, and many different uh, wonderful times and some challenging times and, and everything in between. This is a wonderful, wonderful place. And, and I believe this place is marked by the love of God well. And now is the time, again, not to pull back. Now is the time to step it up. Now is the time to say, where can I serve? Right? Where can I connect? Where can I help? in this time of transition? Where can I support? How can I pray? Uh, what are the ways in which I can serve and, and not say, hey, well, what about me in this time? No, what about you? What about this? What about the family? What about this church? Now is the time to step up into that. If you do that well, I will be so proud of you in this time. And I'm not worried about it. Uh, I, I think you're gonna do just fine. But love one another well, that's the command from the beginning. Love one another well. And, and as we head into a transition time uh, after next Sunday, um, it will never be more important than then to do that, to love each other well and to walk in the way of Jesus in that way. Would you stand to your feet, please, as we get ready to close? We'll wrap up a little early today uh, in light of the heat in the room. Uh, but we're going to worship before we go because that is a good way to go. And so let's fix our eyes on him and give him the worship he deserves.